the first time I did it, I knew that I wanted to share it with people because of the way it made me feel. That's Julia Orlick of Julia Orlick Meditation. She's coming up next. Welcome to Happily Ever Active, where we crack the consistency code with fitness tips on motivation, mindset, and much, much more. Now, here's your host, author of Feel Like It, and the guy with the silent O, Kelly Dell. Welcome back again. My name is Kelly. Thanks for joining me on another interview edition of the show. Before I get to my guests, though, I want to thank you guys for your ongoing listenership. I especially love the messages I've been receiving about the topics. Last week's episode, for example, which was a listener question episode, apparently really resonated with a lot of you, especially regarding the idea of inclusivity in group fitness. So to say the least, I'm really glad to hear that feedback. So keep it coming. Send me a DM on Instagram at Happily Ever Active Show or Kelly.Dell. That's D-O-E-L-L. I really like hearing that stuff. Now, before I get to this week's star of the show, I want to say that today's topic is personally very meaningful. Many years ago, as I was dealing with some of my own demons, I stumbled upon yoga, yin yoga specifically. Now, I often tell people that this discovery was a game changer, and it was, but not only for the physical health, the implications it had on my physical health, but on my mental health too. But it wasn't necessarily for the long poses and all the nice effects of these prolonged stretches that are characteristic of yin yoga. It was really for the next level physical relaxation and mental peace that I felt during Shavasana, which is the final resting pose of this practice and yoga practice in general. This, in effect, was my introduction to meditation, although I didn't really know it at the time. Regardless, it was a game changer. And not only has meditation helped me keep some mental peace in some crazy times, it's actually helped me be a better writer, a better consultant, a better runner, and most importantly, a better father and family man. So I can't say enough about the role of meditation in my own life. And if meditation has ever piqued your curiosity and you've never really brought it on board in any way, shape, or form yet, this is sort of the episode for you. At least I really think so. Enter Julia Orlick, who is my guest today. Well, first of all, you can't really help but feel chill around Julia Orlick. Not only does she bring a relaxing presence, but she's super knowledgeable in the practice of meditation, and she currently instructs both on and offline in a variety of capacities. Julia is a certified meditation teacher and an integrative nutrition health coach. If you give her website a click at juliaorlick.com, That's J-E-W-E-L-I-A-O-R-L-I-C-K. It's a unique spelling of Julia, which I love. You can join her newsletter family and you'll actually get a free 10-minute guided meditation, which is a nice continuation of our discussion today. And for my Ottawa friends, Julia is actually hosting a meditation event September 15th at Sage Wellness, and it's called Uplift. And that info is also on her website. I'll be linking all of this stuff in the show notes, so check that stuff out. So today... Julie and I discussed meditation and some of its really important effects, but also we discussed how you can start your own practice pretty much today. And believe me, it is surprisingly simple. So with that, let's roll the interview. 
So, Julia, I wanted to start off by asking you, you have fallen into meditation. It's part of your life. It's part of your practice. And now it's part of a, a platform that you have online. So tell me how someone comes to discover meditation, but more importantly, really comes to pour their heart into it like yeah. you have and now shares their knowledge with others. I think it's different for every person, right? I think meditation falls into your life typically at the exact time when you need it. And uh, that's sort of the magic behind it, if you will. So for me, it happened. I just was really curious about it. It wasn't anything very dramatic or I was just curious about it. I was into yoga for a really long time. And the yoga studio that I was practicing at, they had a meditation workshop going on with one of my favorite teachers. So I signed up for that and I just kind of immediately fell in love. So in that workshop, we learned about um, a specific type of meditation, which is intuitive based meditation. So it's this process of connecting in with your breath and your body, but then also the teacher would ask you specific questions. And then in those places of silence, you answer those questions within yourself. Does that makes sense. So it's this like huge discovery process. And so I was just blown away by sitting and by getting quiet and listening to myself and then asking myself these questions. I was able to really connect with myself to see what was actually going on beneath the surface. Because a lot of the times, you know, we move through our lives and we kind of know what's going on, but we like to avoid it or push it aside for so many different reasons. And you know, I do that all the time still. So it was just this practice of getting really quiet, getting really still, and then looking at whatever came to the surface. And to itself, that is, uh, it's a very similar process to how I discovered it because I, mm. I, it's almost like yoga is a gateway drug yeah. to meditation totally. because of the, uh, the attention that you, you end up putting inward and, and that reflection process. Now, you mentioned a, a few things there. And one of the things that when I hear you talk about it, the experience that you had, that that's something that a lot of people might be very curious about. But then there's some people like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, why were you ready? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. For whatever reason, I guess I was just feeling open to it. And I think that's another huge thing too. Like you have to be open to the practice. And I'm a very feelings-based person. A lot of people aren't. They're more science-based or want to know like the theory behind it and all that, which I totally get. And so for those people, you know, starting with intuitive-based meditation may not be their best option because that's not how their brain works, right? So you want to go with instead things like um, using more strategic ways of meditating, so like breath counts or focusing on very specific breathing patterns and things like that. But yeah, for whatever reason, I guess it was just the right time. I was open to it. And you're curious at the time. I was just curious yeah, at the time. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, like I said, I fell in love with it. So I just kept practicing more and more after that workshop, um, kind of developed an on again, off again meditation practice. And it was one of those things too, where I sat down for my first meditation and I knew instantly that I wanted to teach it. And I'd never experienced that with anything ever in my life. But it was like with the first the first time I sat, the first time I did it, I knew that I wanted to share it with people because of the way it made me feel and the way it can make so many other people feel as well. You talked about intuitive meditation. Mm -hmm. And I think there are probably a lot of people listening think meditation is just this one thing. Can you do your best to kind of separate a little bit of the styles or the types of meditation Absolutely. that are available and 
and a little bit of what they're about. Yeah. So there's so many different types of meditations. And that's the other cool thing about this is that if you try a specific type with a certain teacher, maybe that didn't resonate with you. But you know, that's not your only option. There's so many different types of avenues you can take. So I took my 200-hour training in specific in meditation in California at a studio called Unplug Meditation with um, David G, who is my main teacher. So one type of meditation is called mindfulness meditation. This is the most popular one, I'd say. There's a program called the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. It's eight weeks. Um, John Kabat-Zinn was the one who kind of founded that and started that. Um, so that's doing eight weeks of meditation, meditating every single day for 30 minutes. And what mindfulness is, it's essentially just focusing on your breath. So watching your inhale and watching your exhale kind of as it moves in and out of the body. And anytime you drift away towards thoughts, sounds, physical sensations, you just remind yourself as best you can to come back to the breath every single time. So mindfulness is just awareness on your breath, on where your breath is moving in your body. You know, sometimes the breath can tell us a lot about where we hold tension, where we hold stress. So for example, me, something that I have difficulty doing is breathing into my chest versus my belly. I can breathe really easily into my belly. And I know that's because I lo- I hold a lot of my stress and my tension in that like chest heart area. Um, for other people, it could be your shoulders, you know, like you feel your shoulders super tight or so your breath tells you a lot about where you hold tension in the body. So yeah, mindfulness, just becoming aware of your breath, of where it moves, of where it doesn't want to move also, and then becoming aware of your mood and your energy and, you know, kind of what's going on for you. So it's mind-body awareness. Another type of meditation, which is my personal favorite, one that I teach a lot is mantra meditation. Mantra is the act of repeating a word or a phrase over and over and over again in your mind's eye. Mantra in Sanskrit means um, mind vehicle or mind instrument. An example that I, I really like to give because it resonates with me is I live on a lake and I spend like all my time in the water, basically in the summers and stuff. So um, if you think about when you're swimming or on like a body of water, when your head is above the surface, you kind of get the waves and you hear the distant chatter from people around you, you know, different docks or the beach or wherever. And um, you can hear the wind and the birds and everything going on. But then if you dive under the water, you kind of get that really quiet muffled sound where the outside kind of external noises, they're still there. They're just a little bit quieter and you focus more on your breath, obviously, if you're swimming underwater. Um, so that's a kind of tool that I like to use when I'm thinking of meditation. So what it is, is it's helping us take or it's helping us go from that surface level, chatter, turbulence, chaos, whatever. And we're dropping down almost like an anchor into that really quiet, muffled underwater space. So that's what a mantra can help us do too. It's a vehicle to get there from surface level to down below where it's quiet. You know, there are different versions. You can have Sanskrit mantras, which is using Sanskrit. So for example, um, Shanti, which means peace, or um, Moksha, which means freedom. And so we use Sanskrit mantras, not necessarily for the word itself, but for its vibrational frequency. Versus using an English mantra, which could be some, something people are more familiar with this, I'd say. So like, I am love, or if you want to feel free, you could just repeat free, free, free over and over and over again in your mind. And as you do that, the mantra, it may change, it may get faster, or slower, or quieter, or louder in your mind's eye. And however it shifts, you just kind of go with it. Yeah, that's a really beautiful practice, one that I practice a lot. I find mantras 
been the most powerful for me. It takes me to the most quiet places in my mind. And again, same concept with the breath. Whenever you drift away from that word that you're repeating, you just gently bring it back because your mind will drift, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're alive, right? So it's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> it just means that your brain is working and doing what it's supposed to be doing with firing all these thoughts all the time. It's just meditation is a, a tool to slow that down a little bit so that you can feel a little bit more at peace and at ease and tranquil. I love how you put that, that, you know, there's something out there probably for everyone, mm-hmm. kind of like fitness or physical activity, right? There's something out there for everyone. Now, what is the experience pre and post meditation? Oh, I love this question. I just taught a, a class two nights ago and um, I had someone in there. It was his first time ever meditating and we were chatting before class a little. And then after he came up to me and he was like, wow, I've never been so relaxed in my life. I've never felt anything like that. And he had used a little bit. He had played around with guided meditation apps and stuff, which can be super super helpful. But also, you know, that experience of sitting with people in real life for a group meditation is so, so powerful. So yeah, just people feeling way more relaxed. Sometimes I'll have a few students feel quite emotional. So um, releasing whatever they need to release. And that can come through feeling tired, like just kind of getting all that stagnant energy out of the body, or it can come through tears also. Um, I know sometimes for me when I'm meditating, sometimes I'll have just tears rolling down my eye or rolling down my face, and I don't necessarily know why, but it's fine. I don't need to know why. You know, it's just a release, and and I just leave it at that because meditation isn't therapy. You know, you're not trying to go crazy deep. You're only accessing what wants to come to the surface and what feels ready to come to the surface in a sense. So it's just this practice of being very gentle with yourself always. But yeah, students come in and out just, I'd say, feeling really relaxed and surprised that they can actually do that themselves. Because yes, I'm guiding the practice, but in the end, it's all them. You know, like it's them who's breathing. It's them who's you know, taking the cues and reciting the mantras and doing everything. So I think they're just shocked at, you know, their own natural ability to relax when they want to, you know, when they create the time and the space to do so. Given kind of the world that we live in, like you said, we're, we're, very, we're very plugged into all these different things. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of stress. People's lives are complicated. Getting people to sit down for 20 minutes yeah. quietly is something people are like, oof. Yeah. But it's moving in the direction where people are valuing that time more and more. Yeah. We've just reached a point where people are so stressed and there's so much going on in maybe their personal lives that they just can't take it anymore. Right. So it's, it's almost like something that my teacher always says is there's different types of meditators. There's, you know, the daily meditator who practices every day, but then there's also the crisis meditator <laughs> who only meditates when there's a crisis, when there's stuff going wrong. And, um, you know, the more and more you become a crisis meditator, someone who just sits down when stuff is going wrong, like the more things in your life are going to go wrong, right? Because you're not taking the time to be still and really tune in with yourself. So developing that daily practice can be really important. And, you know, it just helps as a coping mechanism too. That's one of the biggest things I found. And um, one of the biggest reasons why I'm into like the brain health aspect of meditation and like the inner gym part of meditation, if you you will, is because of, um, you know, prevention for Alzheimer's and dementia. That's really, really important to me just through having it in my family. And um, 
then also as a coping mechanism because through meditation, you're able to hold yourself and support yourself. I found my ability to, you know, help myself feel supported and not rely on others to do that so much, but really that it comes from me. It's really shifted. Not only does it make you feel relaxed, but the science is supporting or it's saying a lot of other things about the benefits. And isn't it nice that you can do something that makes you feel all these all these things, and it's just the same for physical activity. You can feel all these different experiences through moving your body, even different types of yoga, right? Mm-hmm. And also know that all these cool things are happening in your body. What is the one of mm-hmm. what is one of the things that stuck out to you, or a couple of things that have stuck out to you that are like, wow, I can't believe that. That meditation does this. Does that, yeah. Um, and it's funny with the science too, because it's something that I, I learned after I fell in love with meditation. Like, like I mentioned, I'm very feelings based, emotion based. So like, if it feels good, that's fine for me. I don't need to know anything else, you know, but, um, through like teaching and I've had to learn more of the science behind it. So it's so fascinating when you do start to dive into it. Um, but basically what it does to your brain is you have different parts of your brain, right? And, um, it helps the gray matter in your brain either increase or decrease in different areas. So you have your center in the brain that's called the amygdala. The amygdala controls emotional regulation and also fear and stress and anxiety and all those quote-unquote negative emotions. And normally when we don't meditate, they've done scans of people pre-meditation and then post-meditation after meditating for like a few weeks, eight weeks normally is the, the time frame the more and more you meditate, it actually shrinks. So your ability to, you know, get easily triggered um, by things that stress you out, it gets lower and lower and lower. So you won't easily freak out over things that you maybe would have freaked out over before. And then you have the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is your center for learning, memory, um, spatial orientation, all that type of stuff. And the gray matter in that area of the brain actually increases with meditation. The amygdala decreases, the hippocampus increases. I don't know if I said the wrong thing there. Your learning ability increases, your ability to remember things. And that's also where the studies with prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia comes in too, which is cool. Yeah, so that's like the actual structural changes in the brain that can happen with meditation. And again, that's typically the study that's done is eight weeks meditating every single day for half an hour. Um, okay, but the cool study I'll tell you about. So they took a two groups, a group of non-meditators, and then they took a group of meditating monks who had been meditating for like, you know, their whole entire life, basically. And it was a study on um, pain and our, you know, how we respond to pain. So they took the meditating monks first and they said, we're going to apply this, you know, hot metal rod. Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> So they took this hot metal rod and they said, okay, we're going to apply it. And so they applied it. The center of the brain associated with pain lit up in the, in the monk's heads, obviously, because, you know, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, then they did the same with the, non- the group of non-meditators. We're going to apply this. Same thing happened in the brains to both groups. What they did after was they said first to the group of um, meditating monks, they said, okay, in 10 seconds, we're going to apply this, this heat. And so they did that. And then they took the group of non-meditators. In 10 seconds, we're going to apply this heat. What they found was in the group of non-meditators, immediately, even before the heat had touched their arms, the pain centers in their brain lit up. And what they found with the monks was that the pain centers of the brain didn't light up until the heat was actually applied. So what it shows is 
you know, how we really tend to project into the future, even before something is happening to us. You know, we future trip, we stress out over all the things that can go wrong. And I mean, not necessarily that we're going to get hurt and and burnt with a metal rod because we're living more in like modern times. That's not going to happen. But, um, you know, traffic, let's say, say you put in your GPS on your way to on your way home just to see how long it's going to take and with traffic it says an hour when normally your route is half an hour immediately you're going to get stressed out right but you're not even in the traffic yet mm. so it's just our ability to stay in the present and not freak out over things that aren't happening to us yet if we're living in that anticipation we're never really fully relaxed at all mm-hmm. i mean or always a few seconds ahead yeah. and never right where we need to be mm-hmm. and when you think about the applications of that whether you uh, you know you're a performer, you're trying to be a parent, or even be an active or uh, a fully uh, a present listener to a friend, it it transcends a lot of things to yeah. be able to uh, have the capacity to be in that space. Yeah. What do you What do people who you you teach or you, you work with or you know who you know, your colleagues What do they notice um, after they've been you know maybe it is uh, eight weeks, but what do they notice over time about their lives? Um. I was having a conversation with my friend the other day, actually, who's, you know, just started meditation and she's really big into it right now. And um, she was telling me, you know, I just care a lot less like about what other people think and about the little things in life that normally stress me out or that normally get me really aggravated. I care a lot less about them and not in a bad way, but just in a in a way that she's not going to let the tiny little things affect her life, you know, overall. Another thing is compassion. And this is something that you see a lot with people who meditate uh, frequently and who develop a more regular meditation practice is your ability to feel compassionate and empathetic for those around you. It just skyrockets because there's this thing that happens in meditation where you feel really, you just feel less alone. And so you start to realize that you're not the only one going through shit. Everyone else is as well. And just your ability to put yourself in other people's shoes and um, hold space for other people. It just, you become a lot more tolerant, I'd say. And not always, right? Because I mean, it's not like meditation is going to cure everything in your life. Um, We're always working towards it. And, you know, even me, I have moments where I freak out and, you know, I wish I didn't, but I do. And so, it's just a practice always. And that's right. I mean, that's like with anything, it's a practice and, yeah. and you're always trying to get better and life throws you different things that, you know, sometimes they're new and, you know, you, you're you not always fully prepared for everything, but you're, what you're talking about is your capacity for empathy mm-hmm. and self-compassion and re- to be relaxed when you need to be is heightened. And it's not something that people would necessarily think about, including in a quote unquote fitness routine, because mm-hmm. people think about uh, uh health and fitness and they think, well, going to the gym, running, these types of things. So how would somebody who would be curious listening to you talk about it and who maybe have been curious for a while kind of start fundamentally to incorporate this into a, a routine that can really complement what they're trying to do, let's say physically? Yeah. Um, good question. So I'd say, I mean, with exercise and with health, for me at least, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure for some listeners as well, it's about establishing a routine. For me, that's really huge, establishing a routine, but also doing things that I love or else I'm not going to do it. So if you can incorporate meditation as part of your routine, then that's ideal because then your brain gets used to it. So there's a few 
different ways. And something too that I want to mention is you have to want to do it, right? Like don't force yourself to do it. You just, it it's going to come at the right time and you it's like anything. You can't just say, oh, I want to become fitter and then not do anything about it, right? If you say, oh, I want, I want to do meditation, you actually have to practice it. And that can be starting really small. You can set your timer for one minute and then the next week and then practice one minute every single day for that week. And then the next week, do two minutes or three minutes, you know, and build up to a time that that works well for you. But in terms of incorporating it into your routine, there is an acronym that that I love. It's called Rise P Meditate. So literally you wake up, you go take care of business, and then you sit down and meditate. It's the first oh, thing that you not do. Not the letter P. No, no, P. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the first thing that you do when you wake up then before you look at your phone, which I know can be hard. I got in a really bad habit of checking my phone as soon as I wake up and I'm trying to kick it now. But having it be literally the first thing that you do in the morning. And if you're someone who likes to press snooze a lot, you can just sit up against your bed frame, have your snooze timer be your meditation timer. Or, you know, just pairing it with pairing it with your physical activity as well. That's what I sometimes do. Basically on my like health to-do list, I love making lists. So on my health to-do list, the only two things I have on there for me personally is one is meditate and then two is sweat. So whether that's anyway, you know, like whether it's um, going for a swim or going for a run or doing yoga, um, and you can kind of pair the two together. So let's say arriving to a yoga class five minutes before so that you can go into the room and just sit and meditate for five minutes before the class starts. Or, um, you know, after your run, if you're doing a trail run, get back in your car before you drive away. I mean, you likely have five minutes that you can just sit and breathe. And that's a really good way after to recover from whatever activity that you did. Again, just to, and set a timer. That way you don't need to be thinking about the time. So I'd really recommend setting a timer so that you just don't need to worry about it. It's out of your mind. Um, yeah, but before like pre or post activity, I'd say is pretty good. That's what I like to do. I don't know if that answered your no, question. No, and that's a very uh, practical way of looking at it yeah. because I know people who would be listening who are, you know, at least at a very, very bare minimum trying to establish a routine where they're cre- already trying to create some space and to, to bring more physical activity into their life and now adding, you know, five minutes at the beginning or at the yeah. end is a, is a very practical way of doing it because you're already either outside going for your run or you're, you're going to be in your car going to mm-hmm. and from the gym. Like that, those are awesome tips. And it really speaks to the idea of, to me, at least transition. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times, um, this is my personal observation, at least, is that we don't really set up a lot of transition between yeah. the things that we do. And so what ends up happening is that people do the thing, whether that's, you know, lifting weights to the gym and rush out of there, get in their car, get right into traffic, go home, and it's just bang, 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 bang. And what you're saying with these little, you know, these little increments and just starting out is that you're you're adding these positive transitions out of and then mm-hmm. towards the next thing and allowing yourself time to literally take a deep breath. Yeah. Is that something you talk about in your practice at all about the transition or? So, you, no, but I love it. Oh, and okay. it's so true. You're, yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but it's so true because we're always rushing from thing to thing. And I haven't even noticed that that's what I do. But yeah, it's little transitions because what I just said about, you know, before you go to the gym, I do this all the time in the morning. If I get to the gym, you know, 10 minutes early, I don't really need to be in there 10 minutes early. So I'm just going to set 
my timer for like five minutes, let's say. And and it is, it's a really nice transition. And think about, you know, after you've exercised too, before you rush off to your next thing, it's actually a way for your nervous system to calm down, right? So it can help in your recovery process as well, like physically for your body. And I I can think of, um, just as we're spitballing here, because that's what we're doing now, (laughs) is I can really uh, see it like um, people who have to drive a lot, whether they're commuting or they, they go to and from the gym or whatever, think about how you get into your car right now, which is usually throw your bag in the back or whatever you have, open the door, you know, start the ignition seatbelt or some sort of sequence and off you go. You're ready. Like, okay, what am I doing next? I'm going. Instead of doing that, put your stuff in the car, sit in the seat and take a minute or two. And, you know, I don't know if they call it micro meditating, whatever, but in that small little time, you can create space for yourself mentally and then go and imagine what your drive, or at least the start of your drive would feel like, or how differently it could feel. Absolutely. And and then also getting out of your car. Yeah. uh, Going home, right? And leaving all the stuff that you picked up during the day after work at, you know, in the car kind of Absolutely. And how much kinder of a driver you'd be too, you know, you'd be letting people in, you know? I think I, I'll speak for the world's population in its entirety <laughs> that we could all use to drive a little more kindly. Yeah, seriously. no, but it's true. And like, how good does it feel when someone lets you in when you're like, there's tons of traffic and you have to get into this one lane when someone lets you in? It's the best feeling. So just my gate, know. my gateway into uh, meditation and it, it fits into the driving was when I got into yin. That was sort of where oh, I okay. fell into. And so I found that practice really, um, Really beneficial, most more mentally than physically. Although the physical benefits were pretty, uh, pretty clear. But I distinctly remember those early days, and especially in the winter, because this is hot yoga. So you're coming out of the yoga studio, and uh, I always tell people if you feel like a breath mint, you've got kind of yeah. had that hot. You know what it's like when you pop a, a, a yeah a mint in, yeah. in your mouth, and you, you just you're you've been in this hot environment, and you've been sweating. You come out, and it's like minus fifteen Celsius, and so it feels true. really nice. Then you get in your car. And there are times where I'd sit in my car, I'm like, I don't even want to go anywhere because yeah. I know once I start moving, you know, life starts hitting you in the face. Yeah. But when you, I ultimately made that decision and I'd be driving my car home, you know, the 15 minutes or so, that that drive home was just so different, completely different from yeah. when, uh, from how I drove there. Mm-hmm. I felt kinder. I didn't feel rushed. If someone cut me off, I was like, eh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I won't flip them the bird this time. They're <laughs> off the hook, yeah. right? So. It's amazing how even and, – and I attribute that to the way that that yoga class ended and being in Shavasana and having that time, you know, that extra time just to be with yourself. Yeah. And I I wanted to always hang on to that as long as possible mm-hmm. and, and clearly driving, which is one of the most stressful activities that we can participate in, uh, would benefit a lot of people to, to, to be in a more meditative state or be mm-hmm. prepared. What other things have you noticed, uh, whether it's for yourself or uh, maybe in others? Uh, they move a lot slower, you know, again, it's that I not rushing. They're taking their time. And also a lot of them are just smiling, which is so nice. Not that they're not smiling when they come in. Uh, a lot of them are, but yeah, they're smiling and there's just an air about them that you can't really explain. They feel, or it seems that they feel lighter, um, or the way that they carry themselves they feel less heavy, like they're carrying on, they're holding on to less things. Mm. Um, yeah, they just like, yeah, lighter, I'd say. Yeah, I love observing that too after a class. And it's interesting too, to see how like I feel after a class, like normally. And then I think that's how you know you're doing the right thing too. Like after I teach a class, I just am on such a high and it doesn't drain me at all. You know, it makes me so excited and so inspired. And 
that's another really cool thing. It's not just them that get something out of it. You know, I get so much out of it. I spoke to earlier about how meditation is sort of uh, gaining popularity and 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 being, uh, I say, better received or more well received, uh, less stigmatized. Yeah. But there still is some stigmas or some myths I think that are circulating about it that are maybe preventing people from trying. So, what sort of myths do you encounter that people are holding on that you know you'd like to kind of talk to or yeah or or, or myth bust, if you will? Yeah. So, one of the biggest myths with meditation is that we're not supposed to have any thoughts, and that if we have thoughts, we're doing it wrong, which is just not the case, you know. And again, we're alive; our brains are functioning. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we have thoughts because it means that everything is working the way it's supposed to. Um, it's if we don't have thoughts, then I think that there would be a problem. So, um, it's not so much getting all your thoughts out of your mind. It's more quieting them. And eventually with more and more practice, they'll get quieter and quieter and quieter so much that they're not the main thing you're focused on. So it's not so much that we're not supposed to have thoughts, but it's that you want to shift your focus away from that onto your breath or your mantra or to how you're feeling, you know, something along that line. So, um, yeah, just if you can know that when you sit down for the first time to meditate, when you sit down for the hundredth time to meditate, you're going to have a thought, whether it's something that happened five years ago or your grocery list that you have to, you know, add something to or that thing that you forgot to do that you said you'd do, you know, all of these things, they're going to pop up. It's just normal. So whenever they do, can you just drift back to the breath, come back to the breath, come back to the breath or your point of focus over and over and over again? You know, being as self-compassionate with yourself as possible, as kind to yourself as possible that, yes, it's going to happen. It's normal and that's okay. My meditation, I'm not doing it wrong. It doesn't make my meditation less than because I have a life, you know, because I have stuff outside of sitting quietly and doing nothing. Another myth. Is there anything like you've heard about it that you're curious about? Just like yoga might have been 15, 20 years ago. Even when I started into it, I would have been maybe one of two people, two men in a a yoga class. class. And less like maybe the only one in a yin class when I I started. You know, so there was certainly a a gender identity stigma attached from a male perspective of like, oh. You're right, I think. Because I got to tell you, when I started doing yin and I walked in, there's the only – the only guy, uh, you know, knowing like this is probably good for me and I'm curious about it, that's a brave step because yeah. I never saw a guy in any of the classes yeah. or at least not very many. It's so true. So it's so interesting. In my classes, um, I find it's majority female for sure. Um, but I normally always have, I'd say like in every class, I normally always have at least, at least like between one and three guys. It just depends. But it's so true that, you know, for whatever reason, women feel more, I don't know, like comfortable in that space maybe. So I'd say it's just a reframe. So then, you know, if meditation, the word meditation is freaking you out, how can you shift it a little bit? You know, not calling it meditation, but calling it something like um, mental development or um something to enhance my performance. You know, a lot of high-level athletes meditate as well. So, yeah, I think it's just maybe about, like, as a society, 
figuring out if we can shift or reframe certain things so that it's not so until it gets very popular, which I think is where it's heading until that point. How can we, you know, shift it a little bit so everyone feels comfortable doing it? And, and it's interesting too, though, because where I studied in, in California, yeah, when I went over there, that was one of the things that blew me away was that in the classes and they would have classes of like, like they'd get, you know, 70 people in the room, like on average, like at least 40 people in the room every single class to meditate. And half of those were men. You know, it was like really 50 50. Um, and you know, businessmen, guys, um, in their twenties. And then you also had like moms and dads and yogis and like just people from all walks of life. And so I think that's what it should be because that's what it is. Meditation is for everyone. It's not for one specific person, right? It's for everyone. So yeah, I don't know how we, I don't know how we get there. Well, I, I, you know, maybe this is like, so we, we haven't really talked about how, um, things like apps, um, could be a, a useful part of someone's yeah. practice, but you don't have to go to a class mm-hmm. to meditate. You don't have to m- make it a public thing at mm-hmm. all. And so even some of the things we're talking about uh, as you get into your car, I mean, this is something that, you know, no one's really going to be watching you. So no. if it's like, man, this looks kind of different yeah. uh, than what I would normally do, you can keep it as a private thing. Totally. Right? So uh, if there, you know, guys out there, uh, if you're curious about it or you've kind of played around with it before, you know, you can make it a private practice. And if you want to expand it into something where you're doing it in groups or it's led in person by someone like Julia, uh, you can take that step. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to. As long as you're doing it in some form, it's, so uh, true. it's probably uh, benefiting you in, in any number of ways. Yeah. So if the curiosity is stronger than, you know, any of the self-consciousness, then you'll manage the bravery to do it. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll take that step. And I, t- I entirely recommend it, not just for, for men, but even if it's a small part of your, your daily practice, I highly recommend it. To the guys, just come. Like, no one's judging you, you know? I know you may feel like you're being judged, but you're not. Like, everyone, the more the merrier, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. For sure, for and sure. I, I, even if you're doing it in your car, like, and you feel weird, because sometimes I even feel really weird doing it in my car, just put on sunglasses. No one's looking at you. <laughs> Pretend you're taking a nap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it like, doesn't matter. Pe- people nap in their cars. I've seen them. I've yeah, seen them. Totally. As you're explaining that answer, I can't, couldn't help but also think that there's been a shift. I mean, I can think 10, 15 years ago where the idea of meditation would be uh, really stigmatized. And I'm yeah. not saying it's not. But now it's definitely come to the, more the surface culturally. Yeah. What have you noticed and where do you think it's sort of going uh, maybe over the next five, ten years? Um, so my view on where it's going, I kind of think like where yoga was 10, 15 years ago, that's where meditation is right now. And I think it's only going to grow because more and more people are starting to realize that you know, we spend so much time taking care of our physical bodies through exercise and eating really well and, you know, sleeping and all these things, um, hydration, but we're really not taking the time to take care of our brains. And, um, I mean, yeah, exercise and nutrition and all that, it, it all, it's all holistic, right? Everything affects everything else. But I think that more and more people are going to start taking the time to actually meditate and do things specifically for their brain. You know, we brush our teeth every day, we shower, we do all these things. But meditation is like going to the gym for your brain. And, you know, you're developing those new neurons, new neural pathways 
for better focus, better concentration, increasing serotonin in your brain so you're happier, healthier in general. Before you know, Julia goes, I know, Julia, you've got this great platform, particularly for people who are just getting into uh, meditation. And tell listeners a little bit about what you've got going on and some of the uh, the guided work, mm-hmm. video work that you've created that is available on your website, yeah. which I will leave in the show notes information about this too. I'm really, really excited. I'm going to be starting to create these online guided meditation videos. So um, the one that's up there right now, it's an introduction to meditation series and it's for the newbies. So if you've never tried it um, before and are curious and want to do it from the comfort of your own home, it's a really great option. So there's a five-minute meditation, a 10-minute meditation, a 15-minute, and a 20. So the idea is you kind of work your way up. Uh, but yeah, that introduction series, I, I really created it just because if you're curious about it, I just really encourage you to go for it, try a class. And if doing it by yourself doesn't seem like an option, you know, do it guided online. That one is also paired with like an explanation video. So you'll get um, a rundown of what meditation is, some of the myths and, you know, how to do it step by step. We kind of break it down together. Yeah, it's the, a really fun. The geeky stuff. Yeah, I'm, the geeky. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. That's terrific. So I'll, yeah. uh, I will link to uh, Julia's website and her Instagram. Julia, thank you so much for you. sharing your experiences <laughs> and your insights. It was so lovely to have you and good luck with all of the stuff that you've got going on. Thank you so much. It was so nice being on. <laughs> there goes Julia Orlick of Julia Orlick Meditation. You know, it's good to have go-to people for certain things in our lives, isn't it? Whether that's having a trustworthy physiotherapist or a great dentist, well, I think it's worth bringing Julia on board for some meditation advice and mentorship. She is just an ideal portal into the world of meditation, if you ask me, and especially if you're new to the practice. So check out her intro to meditation video on her website, juliaorlick.com. Again, that information is in the show notes. And so that about does it for this week. I wish you a week of motivating movement ahead. Thanks for tuning in again. And of course, until next time, here's to living happily ever active. This episode of Happily Ever Active has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more content on the mental side of fitness. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review the show. See you next time.